Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. My guest is Matthew Daniel, founder and principal consultant at the Learner Collective. Matthew, thanks for being here. Glad to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity to chat. So our topic today is the learner as consumer. But first, tell us a little bit about your background in learning and training and about the Learner Collective and your work with GP Strategies. Yeah, you bet. So I actually started my career at GP Strategies 15 years ago in rural Arkansas. Uh, It was a gift that I didn't even realize I had stumbled upon. And I worked for GP for the next couple of years and kind of grew up through learning operations, instructional design for classroom and online learning, and then into project management, account management, eventually implementing learning systems and and had a great opportunity to do that. And then actually left GP to go in-house at Capital One and wanted to see what it was like to live inside of a Fortune 100 and do some of the same things I'd done with GP, what it was to handle the change management adoption activities. And then about a year and a half ago, uh, left Capital One to go out on my own and consult, but still a partner with GP and a couple of other firms that I have the privilege of working with uh, regularly as I work on uh, both learning technology work and then when I'm working with an L&D function that's trying to transform what is really their strategy, what's their approach to how they manage uh, the function of learning. So it's been kind of growing up in this field uh, throughout the digital transformation that this field has gone through over the past 15 years. Okay, very cool. Thanks for sharing that. So now you're very active as a thought leader in the learning industry and on social media, and you've been really vocal about how these days learners behave more like consumers than they once did. So so let's unpack this. In what sense do learners now behave like consumers? Like, what does that mean? There's a research firm out of the UK called Figaro Digital, and they uh, published a finding a couple of years ago that essentially said um, since the release of the first iPhone in 2007, how have consumers changed? And they identified a number of different attributes, but there are a few of those that I really key in on when I think about our learners, because this identity that inside of work, you're an employee and outside of work, you're a consumer. That's really a falsehood. We are consistent. We have expectations as consumers that we also have as employees when we sit inside of an organization or um, if we're being trained as a third party. And I think there are a couple of things that they've identified that I really think we see in our learners day to day. I think one of those is an expectation of really good design and experiences that no matter where we are, it it may be, if it's a good experience, they may not notice. If it's a bad experience, they definitely do. And if we think back to 10 plus years ago, our learners didn't walk into the workplace with some of the same expectations around the quality of design. Um, Another way that they're acting like consumers is their expectation of choice, uh, that they expect a a bit of a, a capitalistic approach to um, what the options are. And in many organizations, especially knowledge workers, are empowered to make decisions about how and where and when they develop. And they are given a corporate card. So even if inside of your learning function, there may only be one solution on communications or leadership, 
with that corporate card and the blessing of a manager, they're often making their own investments in their own development with what they think is relevant. Um, and then th they expect kind of access to whatever makes sense. They ex expect access to uh, executives and leaders in the organization. Uh, they expect to see some kind of a personal dashboard. These are all things that we experience in our day-to-day -day life as we interact with our phones, with the digital tools we have available, whether it's ta we're talking about the way that we purchase clothes or food or uh, order a rideshare service. All of these things have blips of data constantly available to us, and we expect the world to work like that. And when we come into the workplace or when we get offerings from a traditional corporate L&D function, the, the delta between our expectation and experience is pretty severe. And I think we're seeing in a number of research reports that are coming out over the past couple of years, they're telling us they're disappointed in what we deliver. Mm. And if we go spend time with them, what we're hearing is that they're thinking more like consumers, not like, here's your corporate L&D, we'll shove down your throat, take it and be happy. And that's a pretty major change, right? And and I would think that there's a lot at stake in meeting those expectations. So what actually is at stake? What's at stake for the L&D practitioners, for the businesses, and for the learners at those businesses? Yeah, I think, number one, it's, it's perceived relevancy. Whether or not we're adding value, whether or not we believe we add value, if, if they are empowered to make decisions and they ultimately don't see us as valuable as meeting the needs when they have it, as uh, being a resource available to them, quite frankly, they will go around us. And so I don't think what, when I bring this topic up, my concern is that it sounds like uh, we're death's door is a function. We're certainly not. Uh, it also sounds like uh, fear-mongering that if you don't get on board, you're going to miss out. I don't think that's that's it at all. I mean, I do think there are certainly going to be missed uh, opportunities. I think if you're not really thinking forward about learners as consumers and the digital resources available to them, then you're likely doing significant damage to your brand. But I think our approach in the past has been largely based on a compliance mindset. So even if it's not regulatory in nature, we said, here's the training that you need and the day that you must take it. And uh, quite frankly, learners as consumers don't want that. They rebel against that. Uh, they're frustrated by it. And we're actually creating unnecessary cognitive dissonance when they're sitting through our content and resources because of the way that we're forcing it uh, down their throat. So I think we have at stake this, um, our brand, the value that our learners perceive it as uh, for us. And I think ultimately that can affect the amount of funding we get and what leaves uh, the business to actually, the business goes and looks out on the market, identifies things that matter more or that meet their needs better, and they will work around us and we lose uh, stake in the organizations in which we work. Which, let me just say, is so frustrating because ultimately you're talking about a whole field of people who have chosen this field to make people better. Like none of us got into this because we loved our methods, our LMSs, our approaches as like, this is the, this is the reason I will get up and go to work every day. We got into this field to help make people better. And then somehow through following all these processes and our rigor and our approach, rather than approaching the, the learners as consumers, we lost we have lost and are losing some of the 
um, brand and recognition that we would get from them. And I think we have to take a step back, reflect on the fact of why we got into this and really begin to focus on how, how then do we change and modify our skills looking forward. Yeah, it, it's a great point. And it really leads into the next question, which is about why is it that learners tend to not find your typical traditional learning content very appealing? You know, why is that? And frankly, I can speak from personal experience, you know, having been made to go through these modules or sit through training, it's often not very appealing. And consequently, I don't learn a lot, you know, and I imagine that that's the case for a lot of learners, that it becomes kind of a chore you have to do. So you kind of do it, check it off, but your your goal as the learner isn't to like, okay, here's some information I really need to know. Like I'm engaged by this. It's more like, ah, corporate's telling me I need to spend the next half hour going through this thing. Okay, fine. I don't want to get in trouble, you know, but that's not really conducive to learning because you're not engaged. So what is it about the typical learning content or the way it's presented that so many learners do find not very engaging? Why is that? I, I think there's so many levels to this. I think the first is our industry has over-indexed hardcore on e-learning. And so before everybody starts like messaging me on LinkedIn and Twitter and saying, you've lost your mind, I get it. Uh, e-learning is a great format for us to scale um, bits of information uh, to a large organization in time, right? I supported 12 countries, 72,000 learners. E-learning was a great tool to scale out things really, really quickly if needed. And so I get that. But I think if we just take that, we took a moment, we sat back and we said, where in the rest of the market do we see e-learning as a delivery for content and information? Like where, where do we go where people actually buy e-learning modules in their personal use as consumer because they add so much value to them? And the answer is nowhere. It literally is a format that does not exist outside of the framework of corporate training. There are MOOCs um, that people will pay money for. There are LinkedIn learning video libraries. There are resources out there that people will pay money for. But when it comes to actual e-learning modules, as we push them out in mass, they really don't, the experience is such a delta from what people expect and need. Uh, it just doesn't represent the real world. You have this real life experience everywhere you go where you're watching videos and reading articles and you are learning how to put together your kid's bike from a YouTube video. And then we bring you into the enterprise, but because we need to track it, we put it on a 10 page, 15, 20 page e-learning module, push it out and say, here's how you have to do it. I, I think the second thing, if we step away from the modality of e-learning, but if we even just talked about the content itself, often the examples that we're working through, I, I do a lot of user research uh, through the work that I do. I work with um, companies to help them understand their learners better. And so when I go in and we spend time in user research and interviewing, we consistently hear not just about the modality, but we hear the learning is out of touch with what I'm really doing on my job day to day. The examples aren't relevant to my role. And I think our industry has heard that. And we've used this word personalization, personalized, personalized, personalized. And we've indexed on like, it's a technology. And if we use the greatest LXP or this experience platform, we'll deliver it. Or if we deliver adaptive, we'll get over that hump. 
And those can be really great tools to help you do it. But ultimately, we are teaching thousands of people. We are training them, developing assets for them as if they are the same people. And they come to us with massively different expectations. As a matter of fact, uh, there was some research that came out. Uh, I can't remember if it was late last year, earlier this year, um, that uh, the data said that they would uh, learners felt like if they were empowered to select their own learning, that they would 68% felt they could learn faster if they were given more control. And there's a whole set of data that goes with that study that is just mind boggling to me that is indicative of our learners recognize that we are often giving them content that is redundant of things they knew when they sat down for the course itself. Maybe some have estimated up to 30 or 40% of a course that we put together is redundant for the masses and we cover things they already knew. And I think that's a pretty significant brand damager Whenever you come in, they will just continue to find it unappealing because ultimately it seems like we are ignorant of them, their experiences, their background, and what they bring to the table. Um, that bit of research, there are a couple of data points, and I won't bring them all in, but it came out from Kineo. Um, and it's it was just talking about learners. It's not that they don't desire to train or to learn. 66% of them are investing their own time in learning. Um, but they feel like if they were given more control, they would actually develop faster. Which makes sense, again, for anyone who's been in that position of, you know, you want to learn just something in your life and you go to YouTube, of course, you know, how do I do this? And chances are you'll find dozens of videos from which you can choose and you find the best one that works for you. And then you go to work and they just tell you to do this module and you have zero choice. It really is a disconnect. And you'd think that, one way to begin changing that in the corporate world would be for L&D folks to not just talk about learners, which I know, and you've addressed this a lot, not just talk about learners, which happens a lot in L&D organizations, right? But also talk to learners about what they want, right? And include learners in the process of creating learning materials and experiences. It would seem like that would be a kind of logical first step, but it doesn't it doesn't happen a lot. Why is that? Why is that not the the main way that these materials are created? Yeah, I think um, so there are certainly pockets out there and even organizations where this is happening well, but as a whole, when I go across the country and I talk with organizations, I'm an ATD and an ISPI, I'm in-house at different learning organizations, and I ask the question consistently, have you in the past four to eight weeks sat across the table from the learner and talked to them about what it is that they do? And the answer, you're right, is consistently no. Um, we're talking in a room of 40 people I may give that talk to, there'll be one hand or two hands that go up. And mm. it's it's shocking, but there, I would say there are two reasons. And I think first is, uh, and I'm going to oversimplify here, of course, for the sake of a podcast, because we could have hours worth of discussion on this. but. I think yeah. we're all up against timelines. We all have this pressure of timelines. And I'm not sure where we've been struggling as an industry for years to say, I need more time for analysis. Give me more time to do analysis. And I would say that many times this kind of user research or spending time with your users is a part of that analysis phase where you're early on and making sure that you're heading down the right direction. And analysis has been one of the things that just quite frankly has been sacrificed 
for the sake of timeliness, which ironically, when it when that learning solution lands, uh, it doesn't it doesn't really meet expectations. I was talking with one organization a, a couple of months ago, and they were estimating that somewhere in the range of 80 to 90% of their initial like statements of work that they put around learning solutions have modifications on scope. And it's ultimately because they continue to find things along the way that they should have known at the beginning, but they don't feel like they have time up front to learn the things that they need. Now, I'm not saying we can um, bolster weeks or months on our learning solutions, because quite frankly, at the same time that I say we need to spend more time with learners finding out what their needs are, I'm also going to say to you, whatever your development timeline is, we should be working towards cutting it in half. Like literally, if it's six months, it should be three. If it's three, it should be six weeks. How can we get it down to one sprint or two weeks that we are pushing out some solution to meet needs? So uh, I know that I'm giving conflicting messages, but that is the crux of where we are and we got to figure it out. The second thing is, and this, you know, hopefully the folks listening to this particular podcast don't suffer from this, but I think as an industry, we also suffer from this belief that we really know enough about our learners that we can sit in their shoes. We can speak on their behalf. We can say what it is that our learners really need because we have methods. We have a job task analysis, our JTAs, or we have skill gap analyses, and we can get out and do those. And if we do those, it's a very academic approach and it's not as necessary to actually spend time with the learners because learners will lead you astray. There's kind of this overwhelming belief of learners are going to tell us what they need, but learners don't really know what they need. We know what they need. That's why we have this field of instructional design. We have the ability to cut through the mess and give them what they need. And I think uh, while there are certainly there are methods and tools and we should use those, I think that our confidence and our ability to channel what it is our learners need is actually not really as sharp as we think it is. And I look to the field of UX. So here are these technology developers who have really cool ideas. They're going to go out and build a new app. They're going to build a new tool. They're going to bring something to the market. And one of the worst mistakes they can make is to believe that they just have a good idea, go out and build it. And when they do that, quite often it fails. That's why startups spend months years researching the market to figure out what do people actually want and delivering it. And at a time when learners believe that they should and they do have choices and that if they had choices, they could deliver better, we can't then double down on our ability to go at solutions without them. We got in this field because we thought we could make people better. We have to spend time with those people and we have to listen and we have to empathize and we have to use the tools at our disposal to really get in the shoes of our learners and make sure that whatever solution we're coming up with, we are meeting the learners where they think they need to be met and bringing them along rather than just deciding this is what it is. I want to give just one real quick example. Created the solution. It was well designed. Mm -hmm. I felt great about it. I give this story a lot at talks. We launched it. It was opt-in content. We had 7,000 people dropped to the website the first day, so excited. And it turns out that over 70% of those people who visited the website exited in the first couple of seconds that they were there. And it wasn't the quality of the design. It wasn't that this, the learning objectives weren't good enough. When we made a change at lunch and we changed and added some more directions and numbers on the screen, that's all we did. The number of people who stuck around and accessed the first resource went from less than 30% to more than 70%. 
And it wasn't the quality of our instructional design. It was that we had done user experience. We used that user experience to make decisions about how we needed to design that experience. And as a result, learners actually stayed and engaged with it. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a great example. And, and it also sounds like sometimes it's the relatively simple tweaks, you know, that, that learner input doesn't necessarily have to mean doing things in a completely different way, but it might mean making relatively subtle tweaks that can end up making a big difference. Yeah. I think there's a scale here, right? So um, you have had Keith Keating on, he talks a Mm -hmm. lot about design thinking, right? And design thinking is this really large scale, let's reinvent the way we do everything. And I think it is a fantastic tool in the toolbox. And some days you just need to take one screen from a website, sit down with five users, get their reactions and realize you put that button the wrong color or it's the wrong size. And so it's unclear for them about where they click or what order they should go in, and you lose their attention for the simple things. So I think you can have this transformational approach where you ditch e-learning and really empathize with the learners and get to what they need. And if if that's what you want to do, I say do it, right? That's what I, I we want to do that. And then on the same hand, if you don't have the time and energy to take on that kind of an effort, but you want to see adoption and you're uh, reputation with your learners grow, at least just take the time to sit down with them. If you're going to deliver an e-learning module, or you're going to put together deck after deck or job aid after job aid, and really just make sure that what you're delivering with those four or five learners who are actually going to ultimately be the people that review it. And I'm not talking about your SMEs and I'm not talking about your peer reviews. I'm not talking about stakeholders. I'm talking about learners. If you will sit down with them, they will give you very simple things that you can do about the way the page is laid out about the way that they walk to a room, if it's instructor-led, about the clarity of the materials that you hand to them that can be really impactful in the delivery of learning experiences. And and that leads us to our next question, which is around how content is delivered, right? So it's not, it's never just about the content itself, but how the content is made available. So what's lacking in this regard now? And what do learners as consumers want or need in terms of accessing learning content in your experience? <laughs> I, there's this uh, a honeycomb, a UX honeycomb uh, by a guy named Marvel that came out years ago. And, and I think we kind of need to tick off boxes there. Is, it, is what we're creating usable? Is what we're creating useful? Is it valuable? Is it desirable? Is it credible? I think there are a couple of things in that honeycomb we've done really well at over the years. Like we believe that our content should be useful, valuable, and credible. What we haven't always focused on, a lot of times we tend to just kind of blame it on the system. Oh, it's not really, the learning system is not usable or there's too much in our LXP. uh, So it's just going to be overwhelming to the learner. And I think we have an obligation as learning professionals really to care for that to simplify the experience, to use direct links, to use marketing and communication to get in front of your learners, um, to make sure that you're actually spending time crafting messages. It's kind of the afterthought. I saw a great piece um, from uh, Lori Niles Hoffman today that was just about marketing learning. And she so accurately nailed it that at the end of our learning cycle, we've gone through months of building out learning and somebody's like, okay, it needs to go in the LMS or we need to write a communication or we need to write a description. And somebody goes, oh, okay. 
And in like 45 seconds, we hodgepodge together this terrible description that doesn't really help learners even know if it's what they want. And so I think being more intentional about looking at the field of marketing and communications and the skills that they have and develop and speaking to what our users, our learners, our consumers really want, I think we can build, we can even use some of the same systems we have in place today, uh, painful though they may be, right? My grandfather said it's poor workman who blames his tools. So if you have the LMS you have and you can't change it, suck it up, buttercup, Figure out a way to make the experience better. If you, I get it, right? I've seen some of the worst of the worst LMSs out there, and I've seen botched learning portals. I've seen it. Folks, nobody else is going to advocate on behalf of the learner. If you don't, it's your job. Buckle down, figure it out, and do something to make it better for them, no matter what system it's in. Yeah, can't argue with that. So there's so much more we could talk about, but we need to wrap it up. So What's the main thing that you want our listeners to take away from this discussion? Here's the simplified message. You chose this field wherever you are. If you chose this field from the beginning of your career, if you fell in it and you continue to choose it year in and year out, you and I got into this field because we thought we could make the lives of people better. We thought we could help them develop new skills and get promotions and get raises and give better opportunities to their children. We saw impacts from what we could do. We fell in love with light bulb moments and transformation and all those things. And somewhere along the way, we let SCORM and LMSs and Addy and corporate processes steal from us our passion about interacting with our learners serving them because this is a service industry and creating experiences that further them. And we have allowed ourselves to start to believe we know enough, we'll be the proxy for the learners. And so if there's one thing that I ask everyone out there to do is to look in the mirror, remember your why, why you got in this field. It was for users. It was for learners. So get out from behind your desk Take a break from your status meeting, step away from Articulate or whatever development tool you have, and go spend three hours this week, three hours, find three hours, go sit with your learners, find out what they're struggling with, find out why they come to work every day, find out what is inspiring to them, and start to meet them in those places. Listen, build, grow, and I promise the way that they see what you're developing, the way you develop will change and the way that they see what you're designing and developing for them, whether it is a, a year-long program or one e-learning module, it will completely change. Do not forget your why. Find your, your way back to the reason you got in this field. Make it about the learners. Excellent advice and the perfect way to end this episode. Matthew, thank you so much for your time and, and really for a great discussion. One of our best. Thank you. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.